everybody. You are listening to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast, where we will be tackling real financial issues so women can eliminate fear and take charge of their lives. I am your host, Kimberly Davis, and I am the Fiscal Feminist. So let's get to it. Always remember that the job is friends with benefits and it's your responsibility to make sure that you get all the benefits that you want out of your future job package. Because guess what? We're dating jobs, right? We're out here dating jobs because at the end of the day, one day they can dump us or one day we can dump them for better opportunities. And she's right. This is not your father's or your grandfather's world where you stay at IBM for 35 years. (laughs) I love that jobs are friends with benefits. I'm gonna use that. I'm stealing that line from now on. Hey everybody, welcome to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast. I think today is gonna be one for the the record books because we're gonna be talking about something that is so very important and it has to do with your career and how to manage that and how to possibly pivot. But a question I have for everybody in the audience and for myself actually is, you know, do you have your own personal career brand? Do you really think about personal branding when you think about your career? And do you know how to brand, market, and sell yourself to maximize your, you know, finding the job of your of your dreams or a job that you're passionate about and has a culture that is similar to what you, you know, like you like, and also that you can make money from and have a productive living from. And so these are the kinds of issues that we're going to be talking about today. And, you know, today's podcast is going to speak to how you're going to unlock your career branding and development, career rehabbing, and also uh, for those of us that may want to become entrepreneurs, career dropouts and how we transition into that. So this this thing is going to be chock full of amazing tips, ideas, and resources. And it's all because of my podcast guest today, who is Kanika Tolver. And she's joining us live from Washington, D.C. And this lady is, she is the real deal. She's highly decorated in the information technology realm. She's worked for the federal government as a professional entrepreneur. And she's also a certified professional coach. So she's got a bunch of skills that are like all rolled into one that can give you some amazing career advice. She's a serial innovator, which I love. She's just fueled by her commitment to social change and helping others create their own epic lives. And that is what we are all about. Each of us has to take control and figure out how to make our lives epic. And if we can find a coach and someone with the wisdom and the experience that Kanika has, then we are, you know, we're in the right place right now. So she's also the CEO and founder of Career Rehab LLC. And they have an amazing website. I've been on the website checking it out and the resources are really robust, really robust. And finally, she is the author of Career Rehab, Rebuild Your Personal Brand and Rethink the Way You Work. We will find out later where we can get the book because I think we all Nobody knows enough about their career and we can all learn more and more and more from it. So without further ado, Kanika, thank you so much for joining us today and taking time out of your busy life to share your multitude of experience and great tips. I was just riveted by your website. So thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. Good afternoon. Good morning to those on the, I guess, the West Coast. But yes, um, my name is Kanika Tolver. I am from the Washington, D.C. area, and I'm super excited to talk about personal branding and everything else, you know? Yeah. So I always like to ask before we get into the, you know, the nuts and bolts of it all, how did you get to be doing this? Like you, you, you obviously didn't start off doing this, but there must have been a little bit of a journey. So you probably applied all the stuff you help people apply in their lives. But can you just give us a little idea of how you got to be doing what you're doing today? Yeah, so I spent a lot of my time earlier in my career journey as an information technology professional helping other people with their resumes and helping them realize their career worth. So when I would help people with their resumes, they would get calls back from employers. They weren't getting calls back before. Then they start asking me some of the harder questions about salary negotiation how to actually create a job search strategy, how to 
pivot and move into a new industry. So it just started really honestly with me helping other people with their resume because they didn't understand how to tell their career story. So I would basically just side hustle and help people with their resumes. And then I started to think about it. I'm like, hmm, maybe I am a career coach. Maybe I am. I, I was very successful. I was making six figures at the age of 27. So, and that was in the information technology realm. Were you working for the government then, or yes? Because it, it looks like you have some experience with the federal government. Yes, yeah, so I've worked in the federal government tech space, but I've also worked on the private sector side within the federal government consulting space as well. So, um, when I graduated from college, I went directly um, working in the federal government as a technology professional, as a developer for. Um, various different um, federal government agencies. So my career journey, my hustle, my grit, I was soaring at a very fast pace. So people were like, well, how are you, how are you doing this? And they, and they started to ask me for career advice. And I started to really help other people, especially women, and especially women that look just like me. I wanted right. to see them win, right? I wanted to see them make the money that I was making. And I wanted them to see the, um, the endless possibilities. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I think we don't realize that there is kind of a science to this, right? Yeah. It's just like any other product we buy. You know, when we see something, we're taken in by the branding, the marketing. Once someone said to me, you can have like the most amazing product in the world, but if you don't have good branding and marketing, no one will buy it. And that goes for us as professionals. And you could have a really mediocre product, but if you package it right and you brand it right and you market it right, right. you could have sales that are off the charts. So a lot of this, rightly or wrongly, is about how we're going to package ourselves. And the information you're going to give today is going to be applicable to everybody, you know, men, women, both. But we like to look at it from the lens of women at the Fiscal Feminist, just because we do have unique obstacles in our careers. The gender pay gap, which, you know, is uh, 82 cents on the dollar. It's even worse for uh, women of color and Latina women. Yeah. They are even, I think it's like in the 70 cents. It's something ridiculous. I mean, so we need that extra oomph to get ourselves out there and get branding and get those jobs that we deserve. And what I love about your platform is you're also talking about negotiation. So you got to get the job. And I think you broke it into three things on the website, brand, market, sell. So tell me what a career brand is and how the heck, you know, how the heck do we make a career brand? Yeah, so career branding is something that people are a little bit scared to talk about because it's it's, it's kind of like, am I bragging on myself? And I say, hell yeah, brag on yourself, <laughs> you know? Like, if you're not going to brag on yourself, nobody is. I agree. I totally agree. So a career brand is really taking three E's, your education, your experience, and your expertise and packaging it, right? So a lot of us have got has some formal education, whether that we went to college, whether we went to a training program, whether we have certifications, right? Then we have experience. That's the professional experience that you have within those organizations that you worked at. You know, I like to say you got to make the small things sound big, right? And a lot of times we're doing these things that sound small, whether it's reports, whether that's spreadsheets, but it's a bigger picture to the things that we're doing, but we're not calling it out in a big way, right? So we have right. so much experience that we've had from working at different companies and different organizations. We're just not making it sound big according to that organization's mission or that a big objective that we were trying to accomplish for, for leadership. And then the last thing is expertise. That's really niching down, right? And figuring out what is your secret sauce? What is your it factor, right? We go to right. Starbucks and we go get coffee, right? They've niched down and created a, an expertise in creating coffee, right? Or we go to Chick-fil-A and they have niched down and created an expertise in getting us to go and get their chicken. We have to figure out what is our secret sauce. And, and we have to figure out like what are one or two skill sets that we do really well or that we enjoy doing and make ourselves look like an expert. So it's education, experience, and expertise that helps build the brand. Right. And so I think a lot of times when people do their resume, it's like this kind of list. 
you know, <laughs> just, I don't know. They put everything on it and then it's, and then there is no like niche or USP, you know, unique selling proposition. It's just like this in, bunch of information. So what are some common mistakes that most of us make on our resume that we should not make? And, you know, how do we make it tight? Like, what does that look like? And I know your website, you can actually get some real-time help figuring this out on the Career Rehab website, because you have some really great things on there. But just give us in a nutshell, like, what are most of us doing wrong with these resumes where people like look at it and say, yeah, my eyes have glazed over. I don't know what this person's all about. Yeah. So, I mean, the average recruiter is going to take anywhere from 30 seconds to a minute to look at a, a resume. So it's very important to like hone in and have it right and tight. So the first thing is formatting. If it's not easy on the eye, most recruiters and hiring managers are not going to want to read it. So it's very important that you format it in a really nice, clean way, right? So everything looks very organized, very structured. The spacing and the lettering is is very intact, right? So formatting, we've seen some documents where the formatting just was crumbled. Everything was jumbled together. It's just a mess, right? The second thing is really telling your career story with a level of consistency, right? Some people are trying to talk about themselves, but it's in a scattered approach. They have so many different jobs that they did. They're, these things don't all go or fit well together, right? So sometimes we need to re- reinvent or revamp our resume to make sure that we are taking our transferable skills in the new direction. A lot of times we are submitting our resume and talking about our old selves. Right. Right. But we're actually trying to make a pivot and you are talking about your old self, but you haven't identified how your old self and your new self can match up with your future self. I love that idea because the whole point of this is you're trying to grow, right? And get aspire. You're being aspirational. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today. Let me ask you a question because I've often wondered this myself. When you're applying for different jobs that are slightly different, should you tweak your resume for each particular job or should you just have one resume, one and done, regardless of what you're applying for? So my strategy is first always telling my audience before you start applying to a job, you need to read the job description. A lot of people are blindly applying to jobs and they're not properly reading the job description. So you want to read the job description. You want to figure out what types of job titles that are in the same umbrella, meaning in the same industry or in the same area. You want to kind of come up with maybe four to five different job descriptions that are similar that are going to fall under that particular area or industry that you're applying to. Then you want to pull down four or five job descriptions from those job titles, and you want to tailor your resume to those job descriptions, right? Because sometimes different companies are calling the same job title just a slightly different title, but the job description itself is very similar. It's There's some similarities. So I'm not a fan of having five different resumes. It's confusing. Very, it's hard to manage, right? Um, <laughs> you could send the wrong one to the wrong person, you know. I'm a fan of having a mashup of a resume that speaks to different types of jobs that you are planning to apply to, but you've kind of captured just about everything, right? And maybe if you want to have one or two resumes just to make it easier on yourself, that's fine. But every time I apply to a job, I tweak my resume so there's some alignment between my resume and the job description. 
Right. And I think, you know, all of these job postings now, they have a list of all the skills that they want. So you can kind of weave that in. So when you talk to people about like their resumes, maybe applying for a new job or changing careers, obviously they have this skill set, but what if they really want to, they're contemplating a career change that may involve some of their skills, but skills maybe they don't have yet, or they're just trying to pivot, you know? This is something that I think a lot of people are fearful of because it's disruptive and we want, we can talk about the financial aspects of it in, in another question later, but just the psychological mindset of getting ready to do that. Like how, how do you counsel people with that? I've been talking about this lately on social media is that when you're trying to do a career pivot or transition into a new industry, mindset is so important. So it's mindset over movement initially. And I say that because a lot of times we're trying to like execute the career pivot, but we haven't locked in a solid mindset that's going to prepare us for the challenges, right? Because it's a challenge to make a career pivot. For sure. So it's important to lock down your mindset and really take some time and do some self-reflection of what what do you really want to do? And what knowledge do you really need to make this career pivot happen for yourself, right? And it's important to also with your mindset to give yourself grace that it may take me three months, but it may take you six or it may take you 12. So not comparing our journey to someone else's journey, because a lot of times on social media, there's so many professionals making a career pivot and some people are going to do it faster than you and being okay with your your situation. And then the, the, the next thing is creating a plan. You know, once right. your mindset is locked in and this is something that you know you want to do, know your why, know why you want to do this. Money is a motivator for some people, family, children, whatever your motivator is, create a plan behind that and stand on that. So create a plan to identify what skill sets, what technologies, What are the things that I really need to learn? And you're only going to learn those things by reading the job descriptions. That is how you make your learning plan, right? Because you're going to say, there's things on this job description that I've never heard of. So I need to go back and I need to go study those things or I need to get certified in those areas so I can qualify for those opportunities. I mean, this to me is sounding and so wisely like a personal business plan, right? So if you're going to create a business, you need to have a business plan. You know, who's my competition? What skills do I need to, you know, have to tap into these markets? And, you know, you are, we are products. We are our own product. And we need to think of ourselves as, you know, how do I make myself the most competitive, the most knowledgeable in this area that I want to go to, it may take a little bit of work. Well, it's going to take a lot of work to do a career pivot. <laughs> For sure. And I think, I think to your point, like on social media, it's really easy to kind of look at people who maybe make a, a video that goes viral and then all of a sudden, you know, they're getting sponsorships and they're, you know, they quit their job because now they're famous and they have, you know, all these big people behind them for branding because one video they, you know, made had 2 million people look at it. That is not the norm. Okay. And, and also a lot of these people, I think will say they, they're millionaires now, but they became millionaires by doing a viral video. Then they sat at a platform where they sell product and that's how they became millionaires. Right. So it's not all of what you see on social media is not actually accurate. Some of it is a little smoke and mirrors and all that glitters is not gold. Most of us have to do the hard work. I think that social media, you know, well, that's why mindset is so important because what social media is not going to show you is the behind the scenes. And I try to tell people that doing a career pivot is like a movie. Getting the job offers like being on the red carpet. But there was some work that you had to do before you got on the red carpet in order to actually land that that new job, right? So 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 we need to focus in on understanding that the behind the scenes is the most important part because that's where you're going to learn. That's where you're going to grow. That's where setbacks and failures are going to happen. But a lot of times social media is only going to show you, "Hey, I got a six-figure job offer in 30 days." And it's like, yeah. You know, <laughs> did you or maybe Did you did you really? Yeah. Okay, right. So <laughs> I think it's important to keep your mindset locked in. 
it takes time off of social media too, if you need to. I agree. I think sometimes, you know, taking a break from social media, I know, I don't know when, I think it was this summer, I was trying to like save some money. I had a wedding for my daughter last year and needless to say, it kind of busted my budget a little bit. So I had to like really re, you know, pull in all the resources this year. And I wasn't going to really, we weren't going to go on vacation this summer because I was just like, we can't afford a vacation. We're not going on vacation. We're going to staycation, whatever. And then I'd be on social media and everyone was like going on vacation and doing this and doing that. And I was like, you know, poor me, I work so hard and yet I'm not going on vacation. So I was like, you know what, Kim, just stop looking at social media for a few months. And I didn't, really look at it. I mean, I have my Instagram for for Fiscal Feminist. I looked at that, but, and interfaced with the people who were talking to me about money, but I didn't really look at my personal stuff because I was just getting like really frustrated that I hadn't gone on vacation. And so sometimes we have to know when to, you know, pull back and not look at what others are doing, just build ourselves not compete with ourselves, but just think about our own trajectory because sometimes we can get so confused when we're looking at everybody else. So how do people build their confidence besides just like they have their plan, they're getting their expertise, and that's going to add to their confidence in, in stepping out of their comfort zone. But stepping out of your comfort zone is kind of scary, especially like maybe you have a family or maybe you have obligations or I don't know, maybe you're just one of these people that you don't like change, how do you get the right mindset to say, okay, uh, there may be some bumps along the way, but I'm, I know I want to do this. What tools can they use that you offer them or you talk about to just step out of their comfort zone and, you know, take the plunge? I'd like to tell people that doing a career change or a career pivot or starting a business, it can lead to a lot of anxiety right? Because it's the fear of the unknown, right? So I, I, in my book, I talk about how we have to turn our anxiety into accomplishments. And it's so important that when we are doing something that that's scary, that we have to practice creating rituals and habitual habits that will help lower the level of anxiety. So One thing that you can do when you are trying to build your confidence and making a career change is you can set yourself on a really realistic study schedule so you can feel like you're accomplishing something. So whether that's one hour a day that I'm going to watch this video course, I'm going to read this book or I'm going to prepare for the certification or I'm going to practice my job interview skills. I think confidence is built. Some people some people say confidence People have it naturally, but I I truly believe that some people build their confidence over practice. You know, growing up, my mom would always say what? Practice makes perfect, right? Right. If you're not practicing for the future, for the job that you desire to have, you're going to be feeling like you're not confident. You're going to be anxious. You're going to be stressed. But if you're constantly creating building blocks every day, to say that I'm going to create a schedule for myself and I'm going to work towards this goal, it's going to help build your confidence up slowly over time. Yeah. And I think your idea that anxiety can be lessened through accomplishment is so true because what causes anxiety? Even in the financial world, I always say people have a lot of financial fears that paralyze them, but knowledge is power. And your mom was right. And I said this to my kids too, practice makes perfect. And, you know, you read all these things, you become a master at something after 10 years of doing it. The more you do something, the better you get at it, the more confidence you have about it, the less fear you're going to have. So you have to do those building blocks, stay on that realistic study schedule, you know, hone those skills over a certain period of months and maybe a year so that when you finally get to the part where you're going to interview that you are feeling the confidence because you're not like scared, like you're, you're having imposter syndrome. Right. And I talk about this a lot with respect to women, like men will put themselves up for a job when they feel 60% confident about their skill set. Women literally will not do it unless they feel a hundred percent confident. Like they have to check every box. They have to have perfection. And I have said this again and again and again, and I know people are like, okay, snooze fest. We've heard this a million times, but I'm going to say it again. You don't have to be perfect to apply for the job. You don't have to have every skill. You have to have some of the skills, 
follow the male rule of 60%. And you have other skills that are going to allow you to learn the new skills that you need. And so if you can frame it that way, you're going to feel better. And then your new employer hopefully is going to say, you know what, she's got all that stuff there that's going to help her learn maybe some of the things she hasn't got the experience in, but she's got all the skills that she needs to learn that and to, and to thrive. So for the women out there listening, ditch perfectionism because it's just going to hold you back and make you crazy. And we don't have to be perfect. And whoever tells you you need to be perfect if you're a woman is just talking complete BS to you. So reject that notion. I totally reject that notion. Talk to us a little bit about setting the goals. I mean, because say I'm in a career and I want to change to a new career. And then also maybe I want to, I want to become my own business owner. I'm going to become an entrepreneur. How do I set realistic goals? Because I think sometimes when we're dreaming, we can get carried away. Uh, Sometimes we don't dream big enough. I don't know. But how do we like, look at our market and say, okay, this is what I want to do. This is where I'm at. What are you researching to set these realistic goals? Yeah, I think the first thing is to, you know, I like to get a journal and and kind of, you know, sketch out my my goals. Like I'll go to Marshall's or TJ Maxx and I'll go to the journal section and I get something that feels inspirational to me right? or feels motivating to me. And I write my goals down and I like to see them on paper. I'm kind of old school. So I like to see my goals written down on paper. Yeah, me too. I, I love to write. And I think writing them down. Yes. There's something about like just literally writing your goals down that it's just like, okay, I'm committing to this. Yes, it really does. And I'll refer back to those goals and I'll look back to them, you know, on a weekly on a weekly basis, right? Because I, I even do a to-do list. I write my to-do list every day down. So <laughs> Me too. I have so many pieces of paper. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I scratch off when I've accomplished something, you know? So I like to like, set a high-level goal, maybe. And then I like to create like small tasks under each goal. So if my goal is, I'm using an example, if my goal is to get a certification, I like to sit down and write the tasks that, that I need to take in order to get certified. First, I need to, of course, find the knowledge and the information. So one is understanding your learning style for your goals, because everybody's learning style is different. So some people may need to do videos. Some people may, to do, may need to do an in-class situation. Mm-hmm. Some, may, some people may need to actually do a book or, or audio book. So I think first understanding what type of learning style works well for you will help you with the actual research that you're trying to do. The second thing is when you're setting a goal, you want to set a goal that's in alignment with your lifestyle. Some people are single mothers. Some people are living in their mother's basement. They're unemployed. So their goals are going to look different. So I always tell, especially women, to set goals around your lifestyle. If you are a full-time employee, you can't have the same goals as an unemployed person who is executing a career change because they have more time on their hands, right? So I think it's important to set your goals around your lifestyle. And the next thing is to also focus on executing your goals in some form of a community. A lot of people are trying to do this alone and it's very hard when you try to do it alone. So research Slack groups, Discord groups, Facebook groups, Join audio rooms on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Find your tribe of people who can hold you accountable when you feel distracted or when you feel less than, or maybe they can provide more information for you. In this digital age, there's so many online communities. You have to find your tribe of people because somebody's already overcame that challenge that you're going through, and they're going to have more sound advice when you get discouraged. So I think it's important to not only set goals, but build your goals in a form of a community, build out your goals with the community. I think that is such great advice because we have so many resources now through all these various um, online groups that we can 
that we can put ourselves into because it's really hard to keep your confidence up and your motivation because it's a bumpy ride. And when I had this big Armageddon thing happen to me, you know, about 11 years ago, I had this disastrous divorce after 23 years of marriage. I was 53 years old. I had been a corporate securities lawyer and an investment banker. I'd been a stay-at-home mom. I had been an entrepreneur. You know, I had been, I lived in another country. I mean, literally, when you're old, you get to the point where you can wear so many hats. You're like, dang, did I do all that? But one of the things that really helped me when I moved back to the United States and people were like, well, you haven't lived here for 14 years and, you know, your skill set, you're 53 and you haven't done what you're trying to do in in a, a period of time. So it was a bumpy road for me to kind of recreate myself and rebrand myself and start my career as a wealth manager. But one of the things that helped me because they didn't have as many online like groups back then, is I found a group through a coaching company that met every week and they were people like myself in transition. Some people were changing their jobs. Some people had been uh, let go from their jobs. Some of them were laid off. And we all sat around a table, talked about our situation and we encouraged each other and gave each other tips because we all had skills in different areas. And honestly, I remember when I did get my job offer at Morgan Stanley and I came in and, you know, lo and behold, after six months, you know, hallelujah. And it was like, we had such a great group celebration. And it was like, those people really helped me. I mean, we we had so many great conversations. We had not only talking about skills, there were tears, there was, you know, like really putting out there why we were doing this. But that all was part of my growth to get to the point where I could walk into Morgan Stanley and have an interview and get the job. Um, So that advice is super important. Yes, you don't want to travel that journey alone. No, you got to, you know, I think you're right. Find your tribe, put yourself out there, get on that Facebook group, get on LinkedIn. There's a million groups out there and and you're going to, that's going to pump you up. You know, you're going to come out after a discussion with these guys and say, okay, you know, I can do this. I can do this. And then maybe next week you got to do it again because we just got to keep replenishing our batteries because, oh, by the way, life is hard and we have other things to worry about, like paying our bills, taking care of our kids, making sure that we've got food in the refrigerator, you know, whatever it is. So I want to go back a little bit words to what I was looking at on your website. So Branding, you've got to create this, you know, this personal brand, almost like you are a celebrity or a fin- or an influencer. Like, you know, like you've got this unique USP. And the second thing you said was to market. So, what would you put in your marketing toolkit? What do because when people say marketing, for someone like myself that's a finance person, and I found that even in trying to bring the fiscal feminist to the forefront, I don't know anything about marketing. I, I mean, I am pathetically bad. And so when people say marketing, I'm looking at them like, okay, what does that mean? Uh, so what does that mean? How am I going to market my myself? Part. It's my favorite part, actually. I love the marketing aspect of things. Marketing is, is so important right now, especially in this digital age. Because back in the day, people will market themselves with a resume and a job application. And a few, and maybe a phone call if they were bold. Maybe a phone call if they were bold enough to step out there and do cold calling or go to a job fair, right? Right. But as we've seen, pandemic and COVID changed the game for a lot of those things. You know, job fairs, if you find one, you're lucky. They don't, they don't happen as often anymore. So when I think of marketing, I really, going back to your point about being a celebrity, I like to look at myself as a career billboard. You know, when you're going down the highway, you see Mm -hmm. somebody marketing their business. What if we leverage and utilize free tools like LinkedIn and like social media to just tell our career story? Right. I'm not telling you to tell your business. I'm telling you to tell what education you have. What experience do you have and what expertise do you have? And I think LinkedIn is one of the most powerful platforms to do that for people that want to create a solid career personal brand, right? Because you you have to be bigger and better than your resume. Everybody has a resume and a cover letter, right? But do, right. But do you have a solid personal brand when it comes to someone able to look at your LinkedIn profile and be able to easily identify what you're known for? So I think it's important to, so people, to, to people to have a solid LinkedIn profile. The second thing is for you to also be able to market yourself 
in person at networking events. Like if you're not going to networking events, this is where the magic is happening for the market. A hundred percent. Because guess what? If, if I would to met you at a conference or at a happy hour, or maybe I met you somewhere, we could talk about the things that we have in common, but we can also talk about some of the things that makes us unique and stand out. This is where hiring managers are. This is where recruiters are at job fairs. So it's important for us to get away from the digital aspect of things of being completely on our phones and being on the computer and marketing yourself is going to come through you having your elevator pitch together at these networking events. Um, That's another important place to be when you're trying to network and market yourself into a new opportunity. And I I have been a a big proponent of networking in general and in my own life because I have found that through the people that I meet, whether it's through, um, like I've met some amazing people through LinkedIn. And then before I know it, we are hopping on a Zoom call together. And before I know it, they're a podcast guest of mine or somehow they're getting involved in my wealth management business. So I have, and also like networking in my career as a wealth manager, I had to build up a book of business, right? Of clients who trust me, who are going to use me. How did I do that? Well, a lot of times what I do is I get involved in organizations that I was passionate about. So whether it's a women's business organization or a women, a professional women's organization where we meet and people of all walks of life, you know, come in and we have coffee or wine or whatever. Or I was uh, involved in the British American Business Council for a while. So when I moved back from uh, England, I joined it in Orange County, California. I've gotten like four or five clients from that um, that association that I what ultimately became president of. So when you're networking, you show your competence, you show, you can tell your story in a way that's compelling and people will remember you and say, hey, you know, maybe, maybe I should call, you know, maybe I should call Kim up because she told me this story and she has this skill set and she might be really great for this. So it's like a numbers game. The more people you talk to that are in the right, you know, or in the the circle that you're networking in, the more the chances of you finding someone who's the penny's going to drop and say, hey, you know, we should get this woman involved in our company. So I agree. Networking is a hundred percent one of the most important things that you could probably have in your uh, marketing toolkit. Anything else other than networking that people need to think about when they're doing their marketing? Yeah, I mean, there's so much to unpack with the marketing aspect of things. I think it's important to um, find some form of content that you want to post throughout the week. And people say, well, Kanika, I, 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 I didn't write a book or I don't have a YouTube channel like you. or I don't have a social media presence. I'm, I'm not asking you to be an influencer or a content creator. I'm asking you to share your expertise and knowledge with the world at least once a week. It could be a blog post. Yeah. It could be, it could be a video if you are comfortable with being on video. It could be a LinkedIn post. It could be actually interacting with other people's comp- content, right? Because people get familiar with you when you are a regular person that interacts with content that's in alignment with your career goals. You know, that's so important. Joining groups, like we said, online, you know, LinkedIn groups, Facebook groups. Another way to market yourself is to also go to meetup.com and join groups that are in alignment with your career goals. Like you mentioned, you're a part of a lot of different goals and associations, right? So those, those, those actual Um, associations and groups that you mentioned, they seem like they were in in alignment with what you were interested in doing as a professional. So I encourage people to go to meetup.com and create a profile and interact with other professionals in your city and state. And then use eventbrite.com. Eventbrite.com has all of the amazing events that are happening. These events could be free or they could be low cost. This is where you're going to go and find an event that's in alignment with where you're trying to go. Maybe you want to network with other financial professionals. Maybe you want to get your resume looked at. Maybe you want to understand how to um, get a, a particular certification. You, you, have to, you have to get into the right places so you can, you can um, show people that you are ready for the next level. 
Right. And when you put yourself out there, that already shows some confidence and that, and that's going to get people to remember you. So, okay. I think, you know, we talked about the career brand. We talked about the marketing. Now we've gotten the interview. So (laughs) what should people do to prep for the interview? And let's talk about negotiation because 20% of women never negotiate because I don't know why they feel like it makes them look like they're, you know, too pushy or they're just too aggressive. Again, that's just complete nonsense. I mean, if you don't negotiate, you're not going to get what you should. And I've had so many people on my podcast who said, you know, I went in and they were paying me 20% less or whatever than the going rate. And then I asked for it and, and then, or they took the job, went and found another job offering them the going rate, came back to their old employer and said, I actually got the same job making more. And the old employer is like, okay, I'll pay you the going rate. It's like, okay, well, why didn't they just pay you the going rate from the beginning? So you got to negotiate. Okay, so we need to know your tips on good interviewing preparation because you've done all this other work to brand, to network, to get the interview. So don't blow it in the interview. What, you know, what can we be doing to prep for that? And what, what do you say to people about negotiation? What are some good tips on that? Yeah, so job interview um, in my book, I like to call it showtime. It's showtime. It's time to get on the career stage and show people all this preparation with branding and, and marketing. Now it's time to show people: Do you really have the goods? Right? Do you are you really the product that you know? Yeah. Are you just smoking mirrors? Or are you the real deal? Right. 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 Are you the real deal? So, job interviews. Um, I like to use them as an opportunity to to not feel intimidated, but to feel like I am having a conversation. So I think it goes back to mindset. Reset your mindset. Try not to go into it feeling scared. You know, try to make sure that you are having a good conversation with the the hiring team. The one thing that I think people don't really seal the deal on is the phone screening. This is the most important part. So the phone screening is when the recruiter says, hey, Kanika, can I get on the phone with you? Because I found your LinkedIn profile or your resume, and I would love to share more with you about this opportunity. The recruiter is reading from a job description. They pretty much are going to ask you a couple of questions. You have to basically give a good impression. And I like to tell people to when the tell people when the, when the recruiter calls, make sure that you are either can get on a landline or you can be in an area with good service. Number two, make sure that you are standing up when you're talking and you are smiling when you are answering the questions, because this is going to show your initial enthusiasm about the opportunity, but then also back that up with the information that you know about the job description. Ask the recruiter to send you the job description prior to the phone screening and to make sure that you are prepared to answer any questions that may come from the job description because they're not the expert at the actual work that's going to be done in the day-to-day, but they're just an expert at figuring out should we refer you in for the job interview. I just listened to what she's saying here, guys, because... A lot of times you have to get through the gatekeeper, which is the recruiter. Right. So (laughs) you better know how to handle that recruiter. And I think, you you know, Kanika's given us some good tips here. So, okay. So stand up, smile, act like you're enthusiastic, get prepped, i.e. know what the skills are that you're going to be talking about. Say you actually get the interview, the real interview. So now, now you're making this recruiter feel warm and fuzzy inside because at the end of the day the recruiter is the gatekeeper and you want to edify them to let them know that you're going to be patient calm and you're going to be enthusiastic about going into this job interview because you're actually making the recruiter look good that they actually referred in a qualified candidate right so we get the job interview if the job interview is virtual which a lot of job interviews are virtual nowadays you want to make sure that you properly prepare your environment, right? So make sure that you are in a place that's quiet, calm. You make sure that you're in a place that doesn't have a whole lot of background stuff. Like see how this wall is clear and nothing's on the background of my wall. But also making sure that you encourage your family and friends to stay with you. Hey, look, guys, I got an interview at 1 30 p.m. I <laughs> zip it. Keep quiet. You want to inform the people that you live with that you have a job interview. 
The second thing is that you want to make sure that you do proper preparation for the job interview. And the secret sauce is sign up for a free Zoom account and spin up a meeting and practice on video of you answering questions to yourself or get a friend or family to practice with you. Hit the record button, listen back or watch back the recording of you answering questions that are coming from the job description. Because at this point, you already have the job description. So you want to use the job description as a way to kind of like ask yourself questions or have somebody else practice with you. If you're constantly messing up, you want to go back and you want to practice again. So I tell people practice at least 72 72 hours in advance because it's fresh on your brain. It's fresh, you know, in your system. and, And you feel like, you know, you can get the right feedback. But the feedback is going to be in the video, you know. Right. You want to see yourself messing up and you want to keep practicing and keep practicing and keep practicing until you get it right. I love this idea. That would have never in a million years occurred to me to do a pretend video with a Zoom on Zoom recording so I could watch myself back. I mean, if that's the only thing you take away from this thing today, <laughs> I would say that's a very important uh, tip about how to really do a good Zoom interview. I, I have never even considered that as a possibility. Yes, it has helped me so much. It has helped me with my speaking engagements. It has helped, helped me with my podcast interviews and my job interviews. Because guess what? I can sit back. I don't have to ask my husband or ask my mom to practice with me. I can learn how to practice with myself and I can take notes that, Kanika, you are not being clear and concise. You keep saying, um, you Mm -hmm. are not looking at the camera with enthusiasm. You are Mm -hmm. not smiling when you're answering your questions. We can critique ourselves and we can go back and practice better. I think that is such brilliant advice. I'm going to actually start doing that myself. And I watched one video myself when I started doing this and I realized I said, um, a lot. And I was just like, okay, (laughs) you know, I got, I was like counting them one, two, three, four, (laughs) OMG, how many ums did I say? And then I was like, okay, now I have to be really conscious about, you know, just taking the um word out of my yeah, it's, you know, it's hard. It's very difficult. And even someone like myself that does public speaking, I think we say um because we're trying to translate what we're thinking into what we're saying. But I think it's important to, you know, have a true free flowing, authentic conversation and not feel like you are studying or repeating your resume. That's another mistake people make is that people want to memorize their resume and no, if you are an expert or you have had certain level of experience, just tell the career story of what you built or what you created. Don't make this thing like that you are on a play on a stage and you have to memorize every bullet. That's not the intention, because guess what? They already read your resume. Right. They're going to remember a story more than a recitation of bullet points. So tell your story your professional story. And, you know, one thing I want to ask you, because it's something I've thought about, because a lot of people will say, oh, I think the, the interview went really well, and then they don't get the job. And I know that, like, there's a kind of line between being personable and sharing. How much personal versus professional talk should we be doing in these interviews? Because it's easy if you like the person and there's like a, you know, there's kind of a chemistry there, you might kind of be chatty, but in the end you might not get the job because somehow maybe you got veered off a little bit and you didn't really get a chance to talk about your professional accomplishments or tell your professional story. How do you work? How do you counsel people on that? That's a very, very good question. <laughs> I, I, I think about, I used to think about that a lot when I was interviewing, you know, cause I can talk to anybody about anything and get totally off track if left to my own devices. So that's why why you're a podcast host (laughs) (laughs) way out there in left field. Sometimes what are we talking about here? But that in an interview is not a good thing. Sometimes. I think you have to make sure that you spend 75% or 80% of the time focusing on why we're here. And I think the other 25 to 20%, maybe 20 to 25% could be about, you as a person, because let's be honest, some people want to know, are you a good behavioral fit? 
for the right. team, right? I mean, some people, you, sometimes you take a personality test, you know, they make you take some kind of test or something. Right. So I think it's, it's important to pay attention to the conversation and pay attention to the questions, but I would try to not go deep into negative experiences with the previous employer. I would try not to talk about my personal challenges within my personal life only because it may look as if you are a red flag. Like, should we hire this person? Like, why right. are you talking about their family life and their problems and their um, keep it on the surface level when it comes to those personal questions? Because it's none of their business about what's going on with you. And they may feel like you're kind of like not a stable candidate for the longevity of the role that they're trying to fill. So I try to not talk about negative experiences with previous managers and negative experiences with people in my personal life or things that are going on. But when we talk about regular stuff, I try to, you know, be bubbly and be my true self, because guess what? If they didn't think that I was a good fit for their company culture, I don't want to be there anyway. And that's the other thing you did mention. And thank you for bringing it up in your website. Think about the culture you want to be a part of. Because you may go in there and they may think you're a good fit for their culture, but you may like be looking at them and say, I don't know if I want to be a part of this, this gig, you know? So culture is important, right? And I think we have to go in there with the intentions of they're interviewing us, but we are also here to interview them as well. And I think that's where people mess up because they are so, they want the job offer so much. But do you want the job offer for the for for not the right job or do you want the job offer for the right job for the right company culture, the right leadership support, the right pay, the right career growth and promotion? So I think it's important to do our due diligence to also do research outside of the job interview through Glassdoor, through interviewing other professionals who worked at that organization who looked like you. Right. Okay. As, as a black woman, I want to talk to other minorities that worked in that organization. For sure. And I may want to talk to Kim because Kim is a, another female. So I want to make sure that I'm doing my due diligence to know what I'm walking into. No, and I think that's it. You have to do your research. You know, there are so many resources. Again, there's Glassdoor. There are so many write-ups that people do now about company culture. I mean, you can go to Reddit. Yeah, you Reddit. Talk. I mean, you can go really pretty much anywhere. <laughs> yeah, and just like get, you know, get the get the skinny on these people. Figure out whether or not you want to be there. Okay, I can't even believe we've been talking for as long as we have because I could <laughs> talk to you forever. But I'm going to ask one more question because I think it's important. So if I am going to do a career change, I probably have to rebrand myself. And I just want to know, like, how do we take some steps to rebrand, to make our new brand strong? And how do we do that? Because a lot of times we think of ourselves in one way. We know we want to do something else, but trying to like change our mindset and rebrand ourselves could be difficult because we don't, we're not quite there yet looking at ourselves in our future brand. Right. So, so this is a really good question. And it kind of summarizes a lot of the points that we talked about throughout this conversation. But I would say the first thing is to you have to rebrand your confidence. Right. You know, before you jump into rebranding yourself for a career change, you have to rebrand your confidence. And that may require you to have some level of physical spiritual and emotional healing, right? Because some of us, we the last three years, we didn't been through the ringer if, if we yeah. were honest with ourselves with the pandemic, right? Yeah. And now trying to try to conquer a career change it, for especially for us as women who are caregivers, who are wives, who are mothers, whatever the case may be, you may have had some individual challenges. So rebranding your confidence is super important. So make sure that you get the proper therapy and the proper training and healing that you need for that. The second thing is, it's now time to rebrand your skill sets. And that's, that goes back to you really focusing in and being laser focused on what area you want to go down and you want to start to skill up according to your own pace. The next thing is that now you want to have to give your resume, your LinkedIn profile a facelift. It's going to need some plastic surgery, okay? Right. <laughs> you're going to have to. You're going to have to now. Always tell people you're going to have to rewrite your story for your future, and not your past. Yeah, I love that. 
Rewrite your future, your your story for your future. That's that's awesome advice. So sometimes we're we're not identifying the transferable skills that we have from our past and bringing them with us for our future. And we're trying to take everything and everything can't go. Okay. Um, you only can, only things that can go that are in alignment with where you're trying to go. The next thing is that you're going to now have to level up your network. Sometimes when we're doing a career change and a career pivot, those people that was, that was at our old job, they're not going to understand what you're trying to accomplish. So I always tell people to network for your future and not your past. So now I need a new need a whole new success squad. I need a right. whole new new everything. I need a new career coach. I need new mentors. I'm going to need other professionals that I can network, you know, across the board. And the last thing is that you're going to really have to focus on your communication skills. Rebranding for your career is going to mean that you're going to have to learn how to speak better how to communicate better. And that that's not just in person, but that's also DMing people on LinkedIn, talking to recruiters, talking to people on the phone. Because guess what? This this job market is tough, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's not going to be you sitting, hitting the apply button. That's not going to help you in this job market. You're going to have to like take everything that we've talked about in this interview, and you're going to have to execute everything in a very diversified way in order to get a new opportunity. Yeah, this is a holistic strategy, okay? Multifaceted, and you got to be firing on all cylinders. But if you follow what Kanika has said today, you, I believe that you were going to be successful. So... You are very, very sage and wise, and you've provided some really tangible takeaway things that people can apply. But if they want to find out more, which I'm telling you, you you do want to find out more. Um, First of all, buy the book, Career Rehab, Build Your Personal Brand and Rethink the Way You Work. Where can we get the book? So you can get Career Rehab where all books are sold, but I highly recommend that you check it out on Amazon.com. It is a very highly rated book. I think 4.7 out of five stars. You can get the audio, you can get the ebook, or you can get the physical copy of the book. You can also check out me on all social media platforms at Kanika Tolver. I am heavily on Twitter, LinkedIn, but you can catch me on YouTube as well and on Instagram. So, you know, I'm, I'm everywhere because I love my personal brand and I want to put myself out there. And I hope that you will put yourself out there, too, in 2024. I love Kanika Tolver. She is a strong woman. She's, you know, she's giving us great advice and guidance and inspiration. So guys, check her out. I am so appreciative of your time today and all your knowledge and your energy and all the good things, because I think what you're doing is so important. And for all the women out there, you know, I know this is equally applicable to men, but this is so important for you to check out what Kanika is doing, because this is this is it. This is what we're all trying to do. We're trying to get the careers that we love in the culture that we love that accommodates our lifestyles so that we can be caregivers or whatever else we're trying to accomplish. And just having some of these really insightful tips could make this actually not such a painful process for you. So I would say this woman knows what she's talking about. Check her out. Kanika, thank you for your time today. I, I can't thank you enough. So I want to just say thank you for inviting me on your platform. And I just want to encourage all the women and men that always remember that the job is friends with benefits. And it's your responsibility to make sure that you get all the benefits that you want out of your future job package. Because guess what? We're dating jobs, right? We're, we're out here dating jobs. Because at the end of the day, one day they can dump us or one day we can dump them for a better opportunity. So thank you, Kim. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And, and she's right. This is not your father's or your grandfather's world where you stay at IBM for 35 years. Oh. I love that jobs are friends with benefits. I'm going to use that. I'm stealing that line from now on. <laughs> uh, okay. Thanks, guys, for joining us today. Until next time, over and out. 
Thank you for listening today to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast platform. And I would really appreciate if you could also rate and review it. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at The Fiscal Feminist or check out the website FiscalFeminist.com. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.